0: this morning, please do so for every two check-ins. We are supplying a meal at this point for the month of, where are we, September? Yeah, Uh, 59 meals have been provided from Oasis. So Facebook, check-in. They're gone. I'm going to pray and then we'll get into it. Father, we, we love you. And there are things that we don't understand that happens. Yeah. We, love you. we love you. Strengthen us for this life that we live, for the things that we uh, need to endure. I pray, Father, for thriving in your church and not just surviving. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart this morning would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer, amen, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, as we worked through the letter of Hebrews, there was a turn in the, in the, the letter, up until about halfway through chapter 10, the author the writer of Hebrews, he is kind of unpacking for us the person of Jesus, who Jesus is. He is explaining to us um, how he is superior in every way to all that has gone before him. And he, he explains to us the, the work or what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So really for about 10 and a half, or nine and a half, 10 and a half chapters, we get this theological instruction about Jesus. It's like, it's like over 150 verses of the person of Jesus and the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, as, as he begins uh, ch- uh, verse 19 in chapter 10, he begins with, Since we, since we, and he uses this phrase, since we, quite often. And what he's referring to is, Since we understand all of this truth about Jesus, since we believe in this truth, since we have confidence, since we have a great high priest. He goes into, let us now live into a certain rhythm, a certain harmony with God. He has given us the truth of Christ, the cross, what has been accomplished, and then he wants to show us what it looks like when we live into those things, when we live into this rhythm with God, this harmony that God invites us to. Since we, since we have Confidence in Christ, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Since we have that confidence, let us spur each other on to love and good deeds. Let's not uh, stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He's, he's putting the rubber to the road. Since we believe these truths of Jesus, now let us live into these truths But now this morning, the author is going to present to us a warning. He's going to get a little bit intense. And the verses that we're going to kind of unpack this morning are a little bit difficult to hear and to read. Especially if you don't understand them in the context, first of all, of the gospel as a whole, and second off, if you take them out of the context of the letter they were written in. See verses like this if we just kind of proof text them, meaning if we just take them and we just use them are dangerous because they can suck the life out of a person. When they're not when they're not understood the way that they should have, the way that they were intended to be understood. Now, the writer gets difficult here. He gets a little intense, and it's not, to, it's not to make people feel bad. It's not just for the sake of being a little bit scary. Though I do believe that he wants to instill in the church the fear of the Lord. See, a healthy fear of the Lord is, is healthy. That's what the scripture teaches us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He is, he is getting intense in these next few verses because he loves the church. He loves the people in the church. And he wants them to understand this. He wants them to pay attention to this. He cares about their soul. He cares about their eternal destiny. He knows what's at stake for everyone, everyone in the world. Everyone who has ever walked this planet will be for eternity in one of two places, and that is either with the Lord or separated from him forever. We can say either heaven or hell. And so he is gonna bring this, these hard verses to light, but I get the sense it's, it's very much in the same way of a parent who sees their young child running towards a busy highway, and that parent turns around and yells, and charges at them and grabs them and pulls them back and raises their voice, you can't do that. You need to pay attention. You can die. That car can hit you and you can die. Now the parent doesn't do that so, so later on that, that child will make a counselor rich because they're, they're totally messed up now. He doesn't do that just to scare them for the sake of scaring them, but they do that out of Love. They do that because they, they want to make sure that their best interest is preserved, that their well-being, stay, they stay well. And I believe these, these are what the hard verses of the scripture speak to us. It's not there so God's like, man, I'm gonna mess them up with this one. No, no, God, it, it, he wants us to understand as any parent loves their child, sometimes love can be tough, but it's still love. And so let's get into it a little bit. We're gonna read the whole text and then we're gonna kind of break it up into a couple verses at a time. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of of the living God. These these verses, they don't fill seats in a church. You don't find any of these on a t-shirt or a coffee cup. But yet these are the scripture. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. It is very, very important that we understand this in the context of how it was written. And what I'd like to start off with is by sharing with you what this does not say. Because verses like this, taken just proof text on their own have been used over and again to scare people, to manipulate people and control them instead of setting them free. That's the scripture. That's what God's plan is to set his people free in this life, not to control or manipulate. And so we have to understand what this is not saying. What it's not saying is that if a follower of Jesus keeps on sinning deliberately, meaning they're, they're messing up, they're doing a bad thing, they're doing bad things, they're, they're, they're living outside of the harmony of God, that at some point in their life, the blood of Jesus is going to run out and they're no longer forgiven. That's not what it's saying. The blood of Jesus will never run out for those who have put their faith in him. Jesus will never say to you, okay, listen, man, you're messed up. I've paid for your sin and I've run out and and I'm not gonna pay for it anymore. That's not what this is saying. Hear me when I tell you this. Jesus has paid for our sin past, present, and future. That's the power of the blood of Christ and the cross for those who have put their faith in him. Because here's the reality. We as Christians, followers of Jesus, we, we sin. And okay, you ready for this? We do it deliberately. <gasps> we sin deliberately. Paul even writes in chapter seven of Romans, man, what I, what, I, what I don't wanna do, I end up doing. Like the things I wanna do, I don't do, but what I don't wanna do, I end up doing. See, we all sin deliberately. There are very few followers of Jesus who would go, Wait, so God didn't want me to get angry at that dude and punch him in the face? (laughs) Who knew? There's not many people that sit in church and go, wait, wait, gossip is bad? That's just stupid. (laughs) What else would we talk about at coffee? We sin deliberately. We knowingly go into this and go, ignore the rhythms that God calls us to. So what is this getting to? Because if we sin and it's deliberate and Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers our sin, past, present, future, then what is he getting to? Well, as all scripture, he gets to the heart of the matter. He's getting to the core of what is within us. This is talking about a person who has received the truth of the gospel. They've been told the truth of the gospel they, they, they've heard it, they kind of understand it, they, they hear this, what Christ has done for them, and they come to a place of knowingly reject God's grace. Nope, I don't want it, I don't care. John Calvin, he said this about these very verses, he writes this, the apostle describes as sinners, not those who fall into any kind of sin, but those who forsake the church and separate themselves from Christ. Listen to this now. There is a great difference between individual lapses. There's a great difference between messing up, screwing up, sinning. Your behavior isn't what it really should be. There's a great difference in individual lapses and universal desertion of the kind which makes for a total falling away from the grace of Christ. What he's talking about is people who have rejected Jesus, rejected grace, rejected the unmerited favor of God through Jesus Christ. Now we have to understand this is, this is important to get. This kind of sin doesn't happen in ignorance. This kind of sin just doesn't, oops, I, I, I didn't know. This is a conscious decision to reject Jesus. Jesus. And you see, there's, there's no other sacrifice that's left for sin once we've rejected Christ because he is the only sacrifice that has been made that could heal us and forgive us of our sin before God. And so there's no other sacrifice left if we reject Jesus. They've heard the truth and they've walked away from it. They're unwilling to repent. They're unwilling to follow they've heard it and say and said no i don't want god's grace i don't need god's mercy and look at verse 27 what's left only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of god man there's no way to soften those that verse there's just no way that i can i can put some glitter and a rainbow on that and maybe a unicorn it's just one of those verses that we have to deal with and we have to deal with it because there's just too much at stake for people in the world right now. There's too much at stake for us just to go, I don't need to worry about that verse. There's people perishing this very day who don't know Jesus and will spend eternity separated from him. But here's the point that he's getting to. Those who reject Christ will have a fearful expectation of judgment. Not those who make mistakes, not those who stumble, not those who fall, not those who have really messed up. Those who arrogantly will reject the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. And it doesn't matter what they believe, because see, truth is truth. Truth is not subjective to what we want to hope it believes, it's truth. And, and as a pastor, I've seen all too often, many people will just kind of poo-poo this because, you know, the first, many young people, you know, they don't have to worry about it. they're young or they're healthy or, you know, in our culture... Nothing's broken on my house, and I got a good job, and, and my spouse has a good job, and we got money in the bank, and the car's both run, and, and, and my husband's getting me that Lexus with the big bow on it for this Christmas. And so I really don't have to worry about any of this, but there have been many a person who on their deathbed have come to this realization of, oh my goodness, Many a famous person has, come, has been on their deathbed and have come to this realization of a fearful expectation of judgment. There's this guy that lived in the 1700s, Voltaire. He was a poet, he was a writer, he was a philosopher. Uh, he was part of the whole Enlightenment movement. And uh, he hated God, he hated the church, he hated Jesus. In fact, uh, he once wrote uh, these words about Jesus Curse the wretch. His plan was to uh, deconstruct and get rid of Christianity altogether. And it's recorded that when he was on his deathbed, he yelled out to his doctor, he said, I am abandoned by God and man. I will give you half of what I'm worth if you give me six more months. Then I should go to hell and you with me. That is the fearful expectation of judgment for those for a person who has rejected Jesus. this is the, this is the difficulty of at times, the scripture. This is the difficulty at times with, with Jesus. But this is the truth, and that's why it's so important for us, the church, to live this thing we call the gospel. It's so important for us to love the way Jesus loved. It's so important for us to to get out and go and speak and pray because people are perishing who don't know him. People have walked away from God because of what they've experienced in churches. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Teach them to obey everything that I've told you baptize them. This is the mission of the church. Verses like this, we have to understand because God has said, I want you to be my hands. I want you to be my feet. I want you to go in love and to share. I want you to hug. I want you to cry with people. I want you to rejoice with people and not just people in the church, people outside of the church. the writer continues on. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Now remember, the letter written to this Hebrew church is written to a group of men and women who used to practice Judaism, but now they have put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And what he's doing, he's beginning to unpack for them something they would know a lot about, he's talking, he's, he's kind of looking at the law, the old covenant of Moses and they would know about the law, they would know about the old covenant, in fact he spent a lot of time in the previous chapters kind of telling them Jesus is far superior to the old way of doing things far superior to the law and just trying to follow the rules. And so he wants to lay out his logic for his statements that he just made. How, how rejecting the law, which is something that's substandard to Jesus, pales in comparison to rejecting Jesus himself. In Deuteronomy, Old Testament book, chapter 17, uh, it begins to kind of, uh, there's these verses that are within that text and uh, God is speaking, and and he says, okay, listen, if, if you see some of your people worshiping a false god, if you see some of the people doing evil in the sight of God, which means if you see somebody breaking the law, if you see somebody whose behavior isn't what it should be according to the Levitical law, then by the witness of two or three people, that person needs to die, and they would kill them. There's no grace, there's no mercy, it's very, very black and white. And if that's the punishment for rejecting the old covenant, death, then what is the consequence of rejecting the covenant of grace? What is the consequence of rejecting Jesus with with, with anger and arrogance? How much severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? The Son of God, the heir of everything, the mediator of all creation, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the manifestation of the Father himself. If you have seen Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know God the Father. The one who has accomplished what no one else could accomplish the forgiveness of our sin by the suffering on the cross and the spilling of his blood. The Son of God, who's now seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne of heaven and intercedes for us, the church. He prays for us, the church, our high priests, trampling the Son of God underfoot. That phrase is a a powerful expression of hatred toward Jesus. This is what it's getting at. Those who hate Jesus. Kind of what he's saying is, you grind Jesus into the dirt with your foot. Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them. Again, they're describing a person who has rejecting Jesus. But yet, beforehand, they, they had this little spark maybe. They professed a little bit of faith. They listened to the word of God. Sanctification began to take place. This, uh, the initial act of, of being separated for the things of God. But their faith was not genuine. The, the heart did not change. And they have come to a place of rejecting the work of Jesus. In fact, they call the, the blood of the Son of God just common. Eh, it's just blood. Who cares? How can the spilling of someone's blood forgive my sin? And who has insulted the spirit of grace? This is the only place in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is spoken of as a spirit of grace, the spirit of God's unmerited favor. The Holy Spirit enlightens our minds. He seals our heart. He breathes. He breathes life into our soul. He he brings us into the body of Christ. We've been grafted in as God's people. He has given us the right to be called his children, the spirit of grace. This person has, has danced a little bit with the spirit, but yet has come to a place of rejecting. Nope. I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't care about it. Any person who rejects that grace has closed their eyes to it and they're lost. They're lost. The breaking of the old covenant, which was about behavior, brought about a physical death. The rejection of Jesus brings about a much deeper death, a spiritual death that is separation from God for all eternity. And I know this is a difficult Jesus to come to terms with. I get it. These are those verses in the scripture. But we can't run from them. We can't hide from them. This is not talking about people who have oopsed and and, and are not behaving correctly. It's about talking about people who have said, nope, I don't care. I don't want nothing to do with it. And a rejection of Jesus will incur the wrath of God. I know that feels uncomfortable, but it's the truth of the Bible. The rejection of Jesus, because there is no more sacrifice left for sin. If you reject the one and only sacrifice, will bring the wrath of God. Look at at the words of Jesus. Matthew 13. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Wicked. Not a behavioral thing, but a heart thing. Those who have rejected Jesus. Righteous. Not that they've behaved much better. Righteous means you've just accepted grace through Jesus. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Those who have received Jesus will have eternal life. This is the realities of rejecting Christ. This is why, again, I cannot stress so much that the church needs to be the church. We invite, we engage, we have those uncomfortable conversations to share the gospel because the gospel of grace is the only way of salvation. The gospel of grace is the only way for eternal union with God, eternally, forever, and ever. Eternal is a really long time. verses 30 and 31. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. God will ensure justice. He's a just God. And with justice comes judgment. It's inevitable and it's impartial. There will be equal justice for all, and we will be judged in one of two ways. We'll, first, well, we'll be judged in only one way, I'm sorry. Have we accepted the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, or have we rejected the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ? When we stand before God, this, is, this will determine our eternal destination. Have we accepted grace and truth? Do you understand that word grace? Do we, have we accepted God's favor or have we rejected it? That's what we will be judged on. God knows the heart. God knows all of those things that we try to hide from the rest of the world. We can't hide it from him. And his judgment is pure and it's right. And either it will be a divine judgment or it will be a dreadful judgment. But we will all stand before him. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. King David was a man after God's own heart. But he was still just a man. He was, he was a human being, and he had, he messed up a few times really big but yet he was still a man after God's own heart. He wasn't perfect, but yet he was still loved by God. And there was a time that David was kind of full of himself, and he decided that he was gonna do the census thing, right? And he was gonna count all of the fighting men in Israel. Now, this is not what God wanted from him, but David decided he was gonna do it anyway. He was going to disobey what God had called him to do. And so there are consequences to our disobedience. But David and God, they had this, they they were tight. Because God said to Dave, Dave, listen, I'm going to let you pick your consequence. I'm going to give you three to choose from, right? It's either going to be three years of famine, three months of running from your enemy, or three days of a plague. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. And what's David's response? (laughs) He says this in 2 Samuel 24. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord for his mercy is great. Pretty much what David said, God, you do what you know is right to do because even in my disobedience and the consequences that I will suffer your mercy is great. Your mercy is great. See, for those who believe, for those who have accepted the grace and truth of Jesus Christ, no matter what, no matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how far you've fallen, no matter how long you have drifted away, there is not a better place to be than in the hands of God because in those hands are grace and mercy. David's heart was a heart of repentance. God will never turn his back on a heart that repents, ever. God will never turn his back on a heart that repents. But for those who have rejected that, for those who have rejected the spirit of grace, for those who have rejected grace and truth, divine judgment will come. And that's a dreadful place to be. Because as I was kind of thinking through this, these these can be just words. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But you see, that means, what he's talking about is people. Flesh and, and, and blood people. People who who love their families and their children, people who work hard and and help people, other people, people who who are generous and give, but they've still rejected the grace of God in Jesus Christ. They will be separated from him for eternity. People. People like us. People who hurt and cry and, and are sad. But they've rejected Jesus. They will live forever separated from Him. Eternity. Eternity is like, okay, if if you traveled for a hundred years at the speed of light and you broke out of the galaxy, then traveled for another 3,000 years at the speed of light to the next galaxy, and then you repeated that journey a hundred thousand million times and was able, were able to hit every single galaxy in the whole universe, eternity would have just begun. Eternity. We all know people who may have rejected Jesus with, with that place of, of, of anger or anger, arrogance or just non-caring. We all, I bet you everybody here knows or can think of a person who they just wanted to share the gospel with, but they thought maybe that person wouldn't accept it or they would get in trouble or they would have been laughed at. or I bet you all we, we all have that, that person. There have been many people who have walked away from God because of hurt in the church. Sometimes I stay awake at night thinking of the people that I may have hurt that have walked away from God. I'm not immune to it. I know I'm awesome, but I'm not immune to it. And so, as we kind of wrap things up this morning, I would like to just take a few minutes, right where you are, and you can pray quietly, you could pray out loud, but let's pray for those people who need to hear the good news of Jesus, the need to hear about forgiveness and love and grace and acceptance and an eternity with God. Because see, here's here's the thing. If, If Jesus came back today, today, this very moment, four and a half billion people in this world would be separated from him for eternity. Four and a half billion people. That's if he came back today. If he comes back in 100 years, it's going to be even more. It's time that the church would come back to life and just be bold with with the good news. People's lives depend upon it. People's lives depend upon us, not caring what people think, not caring about being laughed at or joked about or called a Jesus freak or a Bible thumper. Somebody calls me a Bible thumper. I roll up my Bible and hit them because I want to be, I want to give them what they think I am. I'm good with that. And so let's just take a few minutes to pray again out loud or by yourself, um, to yourself, and then I'll close us. Stripes, we have been healed. I claim that healing for those that you have brought to, to mind in this community. I claim that spiritual healing, emotional healing, physical healing for those who don't know where to turn. Father, bring us back to life. Bring your church back to life. Let us see the urgency that we face every day in this world. People are perishing without you. And we have this this good news of love, grace, and mercy. Empower us to live it, to speak it, not to be ashamed of it. For your glory, for your kingdom, for your name, for your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.